0: Let's open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 59. We're still teaching chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Chapter by chapter and verse by verse. So let's look at verse 1. We might say before we read verse 1 that uh, this section of Isaiah shows that God's judgment is the result of man's sin. And that fellowship with God is restored when there is true, genuine repentance on the part of any one of us. We can restore that fellowship. To neglect to confess our sins, we're going to stay in broken fellowship with God. That's all there is to it. There's no ins ands and buts about it. That's the condition we're in. And the cause of judgment upon us is sin. So look at verse 1. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither his ear heavy, that he it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. So we find the beginning with this verse, the deplorable condition of the people. In verses 1-8, through eight, we're going to find the deplorable condition of the people. When his hand is not shortened, it means that... Uh, this is an allusion to weakness. He stretches out his strong arm in deliverance, but when it says his hand is not shortened, that would indicate that his hand is not weak. It is still powerful. Neither his ear heavy. That means he's not uh, deaf to our requests. That it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. So we find that, uh, that our sins have Caused God to hide. Literally, caused to hide. Sin has caused the separation between God and His people. And it says, "...and your sins have hid His face." Your iniquities have separated. Your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. So God is not going to hear until we come in confession. It says, "...whoso covereth his sins shall not prosper. But the one that confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy." So don't try to cover up anything before God. Now men try to cover up things in this world. We know we're well experienced of that, aren't we? And we see it on every hand. In fact, that's about all we hear is cover up. Isn't it? Cover up and hide and not revealing the whole truth, not saying all that there is true. Telling half lies and Uh, making fine points in order to twist the truth and make people believe that the other is is true. So we find that happening day by day. But it doesn't work with God. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. He sees the evil first. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are upon the ways of man. He seeth all his goings. And it says there is no darkness neither shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves so that there's no hiding place from God. We call God the the all-seeing omniscient God. The one that's all-seeing and all-knowing and all powerful. Omnipotent God, all-powerful God. So we find that uh, that uh all these things are true about the Godhead, and so why should we think that God is not everywhere present? Why should we think that God is not all-powerful? And why should we think that He's not all-seeing and all-knowing? Because those are parts of His uh, characteristics. And attributes, I should say. Look at verse three. It says, "For your hands are defi-. here's the cause." We read verses three through eight. We'll find the cause. It, it tells exactly how sinful that men were. For your hands are defiled with blood, guilty of bloodshed, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue hath muttered perverseness. Wow, there's a mouthful in this of of iniquity in this. Third verse, when we think of the tongue, the sins of the tongue tongue are extremely destructive. James chapter 3 and verses 2 through 12, he tells us a whole lot of things about the tongue. But let me just give you one in Galatians 5 verse 15. Let me read verse 14 and 15. Verse 14 says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But verse 15 he says, But if ye buy and devour one another, take that ye be not consumed one one of another. He says, don't become like animals that just feed upon one another. And uh, that's what the tongue does. In verse 4 it says, none calleth for justice. No one calls another person into court with just intentions. And we see in our modern times just excessive lawsuits before the courts of our own land where excessive sums are demanded for legal settlements for even the very smallest offenses. Isn't that amazing? I mean, just one little thing goes wrong, and you'll see the courts filled with lawsuits that demand three million dollars, million and a half dollars, and so on and so forth, and some ten million dollars for what? Sometimes there's a just cause, but a lot of times it's just because there is a Way and a loophole for people to take advantage with those excessive, extreme suits of law, lawsuits, and it's filled our courts of the land. And we, as Christians, we should settle our affairs with one another on a more congenial basis. We ought to be able to talk it over and reason with one another and say, "Okay, if we've got a problem, let's deal with it and talk about it and get it settled," instead of turning it over to to high courts of the land. Now, there are times that you'll be put in a position where people sue you and there's nothing you can do but defend yourself. But let's not always be so quick as to be the one that says, boy, I'm going to sue this person. I've had people that even belong to churches here in town say, well, sue them. You know, the first thing. Sue them for maybe what? A little misunderstanding or a little fender bender or a little uh, uh, situation that is not worth mentioning. You know what? This life is very, very, very uh, temporal. And all the things in it and of it are temporal. So why do we get so uptight about it? And I'm just as guilty of it as you are because we all do from time to time let our emotions get a little away from us when things go wrong. But on the other hand, we ought to realize that we're here for just a little while. And after all, this too will be in, in... History very shortly, won't it? It'll all be history. And I, When we were singing that song a little bit ago, and I never sing it without thinking of my daughter, it says, Away from the mire and away from the clay, God leads His dear children along. Away up in glory, eternity's day, God leads His dear children along. They're not there anymore. And when we leave this body aside, lay it aside, it's going back to the earth from whence it came. Our spirit's going to God and we're going to be away from the mire and away from the clay. And we're still going to be led along in heavenly glory in eternity's day. So, uh, verse 4, "...None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth." How many people want the truth? They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They hatch cockatrice eggs and weave the spider's web. What about the cockatrice? A viper or an adder, both of which are poisonous. And instead of crushing the evil in the egg, they foster it. And what do they do? It says, they, and weave the spider's web. He that eateth of their eggs dieth and, and that which is crushed breaketh out into a viper. The spider's web. This may refer to the spider's web being uh, made to entrap people. You know the spider can entrap its prey in the in the web. Have you ever seen a great uh, lot of spider's web and there'd be flies here and there and insects, various insects, little bugs here and there and they entrap. It's been said that the the spider's web, that the web of a spider for its size is much stronger than steel of the same size. Can you imagine that Of the same size now? Spider's web, and I forget how much stronger, but it's a great deal. And it says, "...Eateth their eggs." Look at this: He that eateth of their eggs dieth. He who partakes in their plans or anything or has anything to do with them will end up being destroyed by their poison. You see, you can't take poison into your system without it having some harmful effects. It says that which is, and that which is crushed breaketh out into a viper. Verse 6 says, their webs shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves. In other words, the webs are nothing to cover yourself with. Their webs shall not become garments. Their sins, the webs weaved, are useless. They cannot be used for clothing. It says, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Your works even will not cover your sins. A lot of people think that their works will cover their, their sinfulness before God. It says, their works are workers works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands. Someone said, Well, my works are good works. The Bible said, All of our righteousness is put together, or as filthy rags. We do all fate as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. We try to do right and live right, but that doesn't count uh, as if we are sinless and as if we deserve special privileges from God. We do not do these things to merit God's. Favor, we do it in obedience to God's will. I used to think when I was a young preacher, when I started out, if I just fast and pray, and God was just sure to bless, we should fast, we should pray, we should always pray. But don't think that this makes it a merit for you to be blessed. God gives us His grace sometimes in the most unlikely times. Sometimes when we're the weakest, God makes us the strongest. And then we realize it's not because of anything we've done in particular or been made real holy or real good that God has blessed us. We realize it is by grace that He's done it. Amen. And it's amazing how God will do that. And I think sometimes just to show us we didn't deserve it. And when we think we deserve it, well, we, you know, we're going to be disappointed because God will say, okay, if you think you've earned it, well, just I'll just cut off that spiritual flow and let you... Uh, stew in your own juice a while. See how that works. You ever come to that experience? Well, it means that God will, uh, will bless us if we do what's right, of course, but He wants us to also realize it's by grace that, uh, Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Alright, look at this next thing. Verse in, verse seven. Verse seven says, uh, Their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are the thoughts of iniquity, wasting and destruction are in their paths. You know, in the New Testament, Paul uses this in Romans chapter 3 and verse 15, Romans 3 verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. And he goes on and says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And he used this same passage of Scripture to show that both Jews and Gentiles, and down in verse 23, he says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So he used this same, this same thing to describe how that all men are sinners. You see, men and women and boys and girls. The psalmist says that we come forth from the womb speaking lies. You see... We are born sinners. We're sinners by nature. And then later on, we become sinners by choice. And then we need God's forgiveness of all sin and the penalty of sin that rests upon us. The penalty of sin, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when anyone feels like that he's not a sinner and doesn't need to be saved, he's fooling himself. It says... In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So he uses a, a two terms there that shows that we're double-dyed, D-Y-E-D, sinners. We're sinners by nature and sinners by choice. See, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they shall be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So, we're going to Find out that uh, that we're not only John tells us that in the book of First John, doesn't he? He says if we say that we we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves. If we say that we have no sin, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. The truth is not in us. He uses both the principle of sin and the practice of sin in First John chapter one. The principle of sin and the practice of sin, and so we have the sin's principle and we have sin's practice. And we need forgiveness. Paul uses these things to show the thoughts of man also are iniquity. Look at here in verse 7. It says, their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Thoughts of iniquity. All man's thinking as well as his actions are involved in evil. God says, your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. He says, his are higher than ours. Look at verse 8. It says, the way of peace they know not. That's what Paul said in Romans 3, wasn't it? The way of peace they have not known. The way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth there and shall not know peace. The evil person cannot experience any real peace. You continue in sin and in evil, and you'll never experience any real peace. The only real peace we'll have is is that peace when we're justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the Bible tells us that uh, we can live in peace. Let the peace of God rule your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And it says, the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Notice those three aspects. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Being justified by faith. Why can we have peace with God being justified by faith? Because uh, the last two or three verses of Romans chapter 4 says that if we believe on Him who was delivered for our offenses, raised for our justification, then it shall be imputed that it is righteousness, shall be imputed to us. And if God's righteousness is imputed to us, and we believed on Christ, and, and Christ took our sins... He was delivered for our offenses. He took our sins upon Himself. He was raised for our justification. It says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. So, peace through the blood of His cross. Colossians 1.20 says that. And then it says, let the peace of God rule your hearts and minds. That means to direct you and garrison you and control you and guide you. And then, there's another scripture that says, the peace of God that passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds. Garrison, rule, control, protect, or guard you like a soldier would, would be the one that would be on, sentry, on duty to protect and to watch out for any harm. So, all these things are true. The way of peace they have not known. The wicked cannot know this peace. Whosoever goeth there and shall not know peace. Look at verse 9 quickly. It says there, therefore, and by the way, verses nine through fifteen we see the confession, the confession, therefore is judgment far from us. See, they begin to realize why, therefore, because of what we've studied, the wickedness that we've seen in verses uh, one through eight, the deplorable condition of the people in verses one through eight, and in verse nine, we see the confession, they realize why God's judgment has come. Therefore is judgment far from us, neither doth justice overtake us. We wait for the light, but behold obscurity. He says, the, they're saying this is the reason we're in such condition. For brightness, but we walk in darkness. Justice no longer exists in society, is what they're saying. They expected light, divine guidance, and prosperity. Do you expect that? But instead, they received only darkness and adversity. Sometimes we go around expecting all to be light and glorious when if we've got sin that's hidden and unconfessed, instead there's only darkness and adversity that comes. And Paul cites this also in Romans 3 to illustrate the nature of universal sin, to show us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You read Romans 3, verses 15-17. through In verse 10 it says, "...we grope for the wall like the blind." What does it mean to grope? They grope around in fulfillment of curses evoked by uh, Moses in Deuteronomy 28, verse 29. Let me read this for you. Deuteronomy 28, verse 29, it says, And thou shalt grope at noonday as blind grope in darkness, and thou shalt not prosper in thy ways, and thou shalt be only oppressed and spoiled evermore, and no man shall save thee. That's verse 29. And verse 28 says, The Lord shall smite thee with madness and blindness and astonishment of heart. So it was predicted that they would grope in darkness under such conditions. Stumbled at noonday as in the night. They lived in spiritual blindness. And hence they have to grope to find out their way without God's help. Do you want to walk in this world and find out your way without God's help, you're walking in darkness. Jesus said, He that followeth after me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of what? So if we want to walk in the light as He is in the light and have fellowship one with another, that's possible. 1 John chapter 1. So we need the light of God's Word. We need the light of Christ's uh, presence and blessings. Look at verse 11. Let's read verse 11 through 13 and then we'll come back and talk about it some. It says, We roar all like bears and mourn sore like doves. See, they're realizing why all this has come upon them. It says, we look for judgment, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far off from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before thee, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing, and lying against the Lord, and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart uh, the words of falsehood. It's a sad condition to realize that you're in, isn't it? They moan for God's salvation, but they only receive a just retribution. See, God is just. Deep down inside, they know why they're being judged. Someone said, I didn't know why this happened. That happened. Most of the time, God shows us why it happens. Most of the time, we can see. We try to fool ourselves, you know, and convince ourselves that it's not that. That it's something else. But you know, God has a way... Uh, Job says, God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. And he says, uh, he tells about how he speaks in the night, visions, and in the daytime, and various things. In daytime, by the afflictions, in night, when uh, when man is in a deep sleep, when man is lying upon his bed, and he deals with his conscience. And he says, yet man perceiveth it not. Because we try to shut out that which we know to be true. Deep down inside, they knew why they were being judged. Look, in verse uh, 12, For our transgressions are multiplied before thee, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as, and as for our iniquities, we know them. We know them. You ever heard, heard folks say, well, you know, I didn't know that was wrong. Most of the time, we know when it's wrong. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans chapter 2, that the Gentiles, which have not the law, when they do by nature the things contained in the law, they are law unto themselves. And these having the law, not the law, are judged by their own conscience. They're either condemning or, or, or forgiving them. One or the other. Accusing or else excusing, I should say. That's the words of Scripture. One another. So when your conscience accuses you, you better listen to it. It does that for a reason to wake you up. All of us have an accusing conscience. And Paul says, my conscience also, it can be seared, but Paul says, my conscience also bearing witness with the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit comes and He quickens that inward conscience of man and makes us see. These symptoms well describe the illness of our Western civilization, post-Christian cultures. People complain about drugs, the evils of alcohol, The narrow disease and unwanted pregnancies and violence, but they're unwilling to get at the root of the problem which is sin. See? We say, Well, they've got a problem. Well they certainly do, but the the, underneath all that problem is the sin problem. The sin problem. We say, Well, this young lady needs help. Sure she needs help. We wouldn't try not to help. Or this young man, he's on drugs. Or this other person is on alcohol. Or this other person has this problem. Sure. But underneath it all is what? Sin. S-I-N. Because the Bible tells us how to live if we look at it and listen to it. And the reason many people are in the situation they're in is they pay little attention to God's house and God's Word and God's preaching and teaching. That's the reason they're in such conditions. You see, if you come to the house of God and God's Word tells you this over and over and over again, and by the way, all of His Word is harmonious. There's nothing, uh, there's no uh, notes in it that are not in harmony. And when it tells you over and over again, this is true, this is false, this is good, this is bad, do this, but don't do that, and there's always some. Negative as well as some positive in God's Word. You see, He doesn't just say, do this, do this, do this. But He also says, do not do this and do not do that. Right? In the book of Titus, the Bible says, the grace of God... Listen, here's the do and do not in what you are to do. In the book of Titus, it says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, what? Teaching us that denying... What not to do? Do not. Okay. That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, now the do, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Looking for the blessed, open, glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. See, all the order, the outline of it is laid down there. You're saved by the grace of God, but that same grace that, te- that saves you teaches you how to live, teaches you what not to do and what to do, but we don't pay any attention. Someone says they preach to me on Sunday. Yeah, well, they do, but some people don't listen. They preach to you on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights, and some people won't listen. See, the big problem is not the preaching and teaching most of the time, though sometimes that is the problem. But the big problem is the hearing of it and the obeying of it. Do we have a hearing ear and an obedient heart to God's Word? Listen, if we do, I remember as a young man, when I even thought to go out and do anything wrong, my conscience began to bother me. I remember one time as a little boy, uh I always tried to live right the best I could. And I joined the Boy Scouts when I was 12 years of age. And uh But I came down through the canyon one time and everybody was poor. No one had any money. And uh I used to sell some aluminum and brass when I could find it, you know, in a garbage dump or wherever. You'd find some old cast-off aluminum pans or whatever. And they used to buy metal in those days. It, they'd have it at the... Uh, Blacksmith shops and places like that where they worked with metal, and they'd sell it to a salvage truck that comes through, and it was really valuable. In fact, this will blow your mind, some of your some of you kiddos. That in some days, and you won't believe this, that the old timers would take the tin foil, the foil off of gum wrappers, and where candy was wrapped in foil, and they would keep keep that foil and save it. They'd pick it up off the ground and make a big ball of it and, and it would sell. It would sell. And they'd sell that by weight, by the pound. Well, anyway, I was coming down through above the woman's club building there one time. You know those old houses that are out there? And they're up on posts there and they're just old cabins. And I saw a brass old blowtorch. You've seen a blowtorch there? I thought, well, I could sell that down there at that... Uh, right at the foot of the hill there, across from the Pizza Hut, where that little ski shop used to be, that place, I forget what it is, right? As you go go up the hill and go up uh, Two Rivers Park, that little building there. Yeah, yeah, Skinner's there. Okay, it used to be in a sublet's garage. Tom may remember that. And anyway, he would buy all that metal that I'd take to. And I saw this blowtorch there. And it was an old one. probably wasn't worth anything. But I thought, well, I could take that. And it was just laying right there at the foot of that house. I picked it up and I took it down there. And he gave me, he looked at me kind of funny and he says, Where'd you get that? I said, I found it. Well, that was stretching the truth because it's in the, under the house and it wasn't under the house, you know. So, see, that's one of those things that, that people do. So anyway, he said, okay, I'll give you 50 cents for it. And of course, probably cost about five bucks in those days. And for junk, the weight of it was all brass. And boy, I got convicted about that, I'm telling you. I forget whatever happened. I may have gone and got it back from him and took it back and throwed it under the house. I believe believe that's what I had to do when I fessed up to mama or whatever. But anyway, uh, it's so long that I don't remember what I did. But my conscience bothered me and I never did get anything like that anymore. And when you have an experience like that, and you boys and girls' children, when, when your conscience bothers you about something like that, realize that God is talking to you and that you've done something wrong and make that thing right. Get it right. Get it right. And I can't remember ever doing anything like that again because I was just scared to death. But that was long before I joined the Boy Scouts. I was probably about 8 or 9 years old when that happened. And uh, I joined the Boy Scouts when I was 12 years old and and tried to improve on my life a little bit. And of course, I was saved when I was a little boy, even earlier than that, about 5 or 6 years old, 4 or 5 years old. But anyway... Uh, God has a way of speaking to us. And sometimes we blame everybody else for all these things that happen in society. These symptoms that uh, we've pointed out about drugs and alcohol, the evils of alcohol. And please, young people, do not not drink that liquor. Don't get started. You say, well, this one won't hurt me. One will, because one will call for another one. Same way with, with smoking. Same way with... With uh, drugs, same way with anything. And uh, so you, we don't want you to get started on that. And the way to do it, you know, if you never start, you never have to quit, do you? Isn't that the answer to that? If you never start, you never have to quit. Someone says, I can't quit this bad habit. Well, if you'd have never started that habit, habits, all, our life is made up of habits, isn't it? We get in the habit of getting up a certain time. We, uh, men, probably go in and shave. Randy don't, but uh, but he does something else, he probably goes down there and exercises, you know. But anyway, uh, we'll find that some do, some don't. Of course I'm sure he has to trim it. And Wendell has to trim. Even Ron got a little bit there a few others. Golly. They're getting to be all woolly around here. We had some we had some on the ship. they they permitted a few of the men when I was in World War II on the the aircraft carrier, they permitted about 10 or 12 guys to grow beards, you know. And we called them the House of David. And boy, they were really a proud group in our uh, society there. But anyway, it was nice. But what I'm saying, our lives are made up of habits, aren't they? We get in the habit of doing certain things. So if we have good habits, that's fine. But if we start and have bad habits we end up with bad things happening in our lives. And we need to realize what causes those is the way we, the way we uh, form these habits. And then we can't uh, seem to kick them if they're bad habits. We, we go on and we have more trouble. I want to try to finish this right quickly if you will permit. Let's look at verse uh, 14. 14. It says, well, let's read verse 13. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart, from the heart words of falsehood. Remember, everything comes from the heart. It, it says, keep thy heart, the Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Out of the heart are the issues of life. In verse 14, And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth far off, for, for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Look at that. Justice... And righteousness are absent, sometimes even in the courts of law and in social matters in general, uh, many times. Truth, look. Look at these four words. You might want to underline them judgment, justice, truth, equity. See those four words? Now look at verse 15. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. He that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. Anyone who refuses to live, a wicked life. If you depart from evil, you make yourself a prey. You'll soon be attacked by the wicked. If you depart from evil, you're, you're a sure target for those who would attack you for your stand. It says, look, and the Lord saw it. Didn't we say he sees everything? The Lord saw it. God is fully aware of what's going on. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. See, God is not happy because this is a condition that exists. Well, our time is gone. We'll, I think we'll have to pick up with verse 16 in our next... Well, no, let's go ahead and finish. This is not very far. Just bear with me a minute. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Verses 16-19, through 19, we see that Jehovah's intervention... When he saw there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor, therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness it sustained him. In other words, God had to intervene, didn't he? God has chosen through history to use people as agents of salvation. And he has wanted uh, those that would intercede and bring the salvation, uh, proclaim the gospel or the message of salvation. And in this present situation that we're described here of Israel, there was no one found to act on behalf, no intercessor. Look at verse 17. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate, and the helmet of salvation upon his head, and he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and was clad with a zeal as a cloak. You see, vengeance belongs to God, doesn't it? We're to put on the whole armor of God. Part of it is described here, and God has an armor Himself. Ephesians 6 tells us about the whole armor of God. Remember? Begin with verse 13 through 16. Verse 18 says, According to their deeds, accordingly He will repay. What does God say? He recompenses as your deeds demand. And then verse 19, it says here, So they, so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west. Let, let me read the rest of verse 18 and tie it together. According to their deeds, according. Accordingly, he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. To the islands he will repay recompense. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. The result of God's judgment will bring a flood of reverence and glory. Look at this. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Now, in verses 20 and 21, we'll close. The coming of the Redeemer. It says, And the Redeemer shall come to Zion. Paul supplements this statement from uh, Psalm 14, verse 7. The Redeemer comes to Zion. And unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. Paul applies this verse to the coming spiritual restoration of Israel. He says he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. They'll turn from their sin and respond respond to God's salvation. But look in verse 21. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, seed, saith the Lord from henceforth and forever. The covenant, referring to the same promise of a new covenant with God's people, that God would introduce to us through Christ. And He has made a covenant with us as well as He made a covenant with Israel of old. Well, we thank you for your patience. And con-